0: Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, March 20th, 2014. Mm-mm. A little bit of a modified format again today, although we will be having a bad sermon. <laughs> Yeah, I heard the groans out there. I I did. Maybe I'm just hearing things in my brain. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically. Help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. And sadly, there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles and compare what God's word says in context to the crazy things being said by very prominent uh, pastors, leaders, conference speakers, television personalities and things like that. And unfortunately, the thing that we discover is that so many of the things said by those folks, the celebrities within evangelicalism, doesn't actually square with what God's Word says. This is a problem. The reason this is a problem is because Scripture makes it very clear that it is God's will that pastors and preachers only teach what's in accord with sound doctrine, not False doctrine. False doctrine is a lie. False doctrine is what it means to blaspheme God's name. False doctrine is a tool of the devil. False doctrine takes your eyes off of Jesus and puts it on yourself or your good works or something completely other than Jesus and could, in fact, shipwreck your faith. Not a good state for you to be in. So we are all about, even though I'm a pirate, we're here about uh, shipwreck prevention, if you would, here at Fighting for the Faith. Or if you have been shipwrecked, helping to patch up your ship and get you back on the high seas. So that's what we do here at Fighting for the Faith. Now let's talk about what we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. A little bit of, like I said at the beginning of the program, slightly modified format today today. And uh, what I mean by that is is that uh, I will be interviewing, second half of this uh, first hour, uh, Brent Kuhlman from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Now, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you've heard Pastor Brent Kuhlman's sermons, and I liken him to John the Baptist. This is a guy, when he preaches the law, it's it's napalm. It's, well, he pulls out his flamethrower and just lets it fly. And uh, the great news is is that after that, he preaches the gospel and tells people of the forgiveness of sins won by Christ. He doesn't pull any po- punches, and he calls people to repentance. And what we will be doing in the second half of the first hour today is addressing, <clears throat> well, how do I put this, a growing issue within the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now, I, I need to uh, let people know, because this is not a secret or anything like that, but I am technically no longer in the LCMS. And some of you are going, what? You're, what? Huh? What? What?" Yeah. Okay. So uh, here's what's going on is uh, uh, I have been colloquized uh, onto the clergy roster of the AALC. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is a tiny little congregation up on the North Dakota, Minnesota border near Grand Forks, North Dakota, that has called me. ...to be their pastor. I have accepted the call, and uh, in June, uh, I will be moving my family, all of us will be moving to uh, North Dakota, which I believe during the wintertime is actually part of the Hoth system, and uh, and or American Siberia, with either one of those that, that's synonymous, and uh, I will be serving this tiny congregation as their pastor. Now, you don't need to panic, there's not going to be any changes here at Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Um, the idea here is is that uh, this tiny congregation, they have 35 members, they can't afford a full time pastor, and uh, and so I will continue to be bivocational in 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 that case. So what will happen is is that I will be doing Pirate Christian Radio during the weekdays, and uh, and you know, and then I will also have my pastoral duties. Uh, you know, part part of the time during the week, and then I'll be, I'll be preaching and doing word and sacrament ministry on Sunday. So a little bit of a change coming up for the Rosebro family, but not a change for the Fighting for the Faith family. But anyway, so you all need to understand this, that um, I do not have any acrimony towards the LCMS or anything like that. But um, the conversation that we're going to be having with Brent Kuhlman today um, Brent and I are going to be discussing kind of, a, 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 if you would, an issue within the LCMS, and one of the sad things about it is is that – how do I put this? Is that men like Brent Kuhlman, because the LCMS's institution hasn't formally moved to censor the person preaching and teaching the false doctrine – um is is you know it's men like Brent Kuhlman who are stepping up and calling the man to repentance so um it's kind of an interesting thing so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be interacting with a uh, journal article written by an LCMS a theologian by the name of Norman Metzler he writes for the Daystar Journal and we're going to be uh, interacting with the content of one of his articles from the Daystar Journal entitled uh, Marriage Policies of the LCMS And it's a very duplicitous journal article. The reason I say it's duplicitous is because um, it's clear that uh, Norman Metzler is abandoning the authority of Scripture and what it says regarding uh, homosexual marriage and same-sex attraction and same-sex sins. And so uh, Brent Kuhlman and I will be discussing that second half, first hour today. Um, Before we get to that, though, I will be – well – We cover two things before we get there. One, today is the day that Westboro Baptist's founder, Fred Phelps, has died. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And um, keep in mind, Ezekiel chapter 18 makes it clear that the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. And so I I want to temper what I'm saying with that particular passage. So we'll, we'll cover that. We have a Joel Osteen update that we're going to get to. Uh, In fact, we're probably going to start with the Joel Osteen update and then go to the Westboro Baptist um, story, take a break, and then uh, do our interview, uh, do my interview with uh, Brent Kuhlman. And then in hour number two, we're going to head to Omaha, Nebraska. And um, yeah, um, we're going to be heading to Omaha, Nebraska to Stonebridge Christian Church. And thankfully, we will not be listening to um, a sermon by their preaching intern Taylor there, uh, but we will be listening to a sermon from their game show sermon series entitled Deal or No Deal, and I will be uh, reviewing that, and what the reason I chose this particular sermon from the sermon series is because it has kind of a common, it's a common way of mistreating the story of Jacob, Esau, and the whole birthright thing, and and the deception that was involved in 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 Jacob receiving uh, uh, isaac 's blessing now, what if I told you and i 'll kind of throw it out here right, you know right now, what if I told you that the story of jacob Esau and the and Isaac giving his blessing is not about family dysfunction and it 's not about parents playing favorites? What if I told you it 's about the messiah it 's about jesus it 's about the messianic promise. And that one parent was listening to and heeding the word of the Lord, a very firm and clear word that the Lord had spoken, while another parent was, well, playing favorites despite very despicable sins. And so oftentimes the way the story of Jacob, Esau, and Isaac's blessing is told, it, it always focuses in on uh, that Jacob and his mother were engaging in deceptive to, deception to steal uh, Esau's birthright. And it's just terrible, terrible thing that they had done. Um, but if you tell that story that way, you're missing the whole point. In fact, the person who's really at fault, get this. And I, I know this is going to sound really crazy. The person who's at fault in that story is Isaac, and you're going, no, no, uh it's true, <laughs> it's true, and I'll prove it during today's sermon review. So with that, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, and I think we'll go ahead and we'll start with our Joel Osteen update, and uh, that requires me to do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be. All by myself, an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy? Fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have
1: a flaw, my shiny teeth and me.
2: Shiny teeth that glisten just like a Christmas tree. You know, they walk a mile just to see me smile. Woo! Shiny teeth and me. All
0: right, that's Chip Skylark and Shiny Teeth and me. You know, somebody actually emailed me and told me that they thought that it was Justin Timberlake who played the uh, character of Chip Skylark from that particular cartoon where we got this. I don't know if that's true or not, but it wouldn't surprise me, but I can't even say. <laughs> that I have ever really listened to Justin Timberlake. Anyway, I'm off topic already. So here's uh, what we're going to be listening to. Uh, The uh, recent message uh, posted by Joel Osteen Ministries is about building walls. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to be listening to is Joel Osteen tell us about the importance of building walls and the verse if you could call it that, that he's going to be supposedly preaching teaching from, at least in the segment that you're going to be hearing. Um, it, it, the name of the message, by the way, is keep your walls up. The The verse that we are going to be hearing from Joel is from Jude, verse 20. Jude, verse 20. Now, thinking, well, what chapter? Okay, if you're not familiar with Scripture, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Jude only has one chapter. It's a very, very tiny letter uh, in the New Testament. So we're going to be testing, and I want to kind of put this out there now, we're going to be testing to see if Joel Osteen is going to be telling us the truth or telling us lies, and that's probably a good way of putting it, regarding what Jude verse 20 is actually saying and teaching. And we're going to do that using our three rules, context, context, context. And so here's Joel Osteen from his message entitled, Keep Your Walls Up. Here we go.
3: Well, God bless you. It's Always a joy to come into your homes. And if you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of the services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks so much for tuning in. And thank you again for coming out today. i like to start with something funny. And I heard about this man. He was sitting on an airplane next to a beautiful single lady. They struck up a conversation and... He asked her what kind of men she liked. She said, well, I like Native American Indian men with their high cheekbones and their golden tan skin. Plus, I like Jewish men. They're so brilliant and successful. And then I like good old boys from the South with their long Southern drawl. What's your name? He said, my name is Geronimo Bernstein, (laughs) but my friends call me Bubba. Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God.
0: No, you won't. At least not from Joel.
3: I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about keeping your walls up.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Really? Okay. You want to talk to me about keeping my walls up? Okay. Um, I don't own a wall. I, I rent a house, so I don't have any walls. And I agree that you know the CTCRs in our neighborhood, if I did have a wall, would require me to keep my wall up. It's easy to go through
3: life letting everything get on the inside. Offended by what somebody said. Worried about a problem at work. Mm-hmm. Upset because of a negative report. We can't stop all these things from happening. The key is
0: to have walls built up. Uh huh. So we can't keep negative things from happening to us. So the key is keeping walls built up. By the way, again, the verse he's going to be going to, Ju- Jude, verse 20. Jude, verse 20. So we don't allow everything
3: in. The scripture says to build
0: yourself up. Mm -hmm. That's the verse right there. Jude, verse 20. It's right there on the television screen. The scripture says to build yourself up. Now, what does Joel Osteen say that this means? One translation
3: says to edify yourself. Uh,
0: (laughs) Okay, so... (laughs) Okay, the absurdity of this. I'm having a problem dealing with the absurdity here. (laughs) Because we're not getting a sentence, Okay. I mean, Bible twisting has now come down to we're getting three words. Build, uh, build up yourself. Uh huh. <laughs> there you go. There's your Bible teaching for today. Jude verse twenty. Build yourself up. There you go. Da 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 And I, I, do you really think for a second that if Joel Osteen is going to give you three words, he's not even going to give you a sentence. Three words from the New Testament, that you're going to actually be taught what it really says. Let's let him spin this out just a little bit, and then we'll apply our three sound rules for biblical exegesis, and those are context, 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 to see if Jude, verse 20, is all about what he says it's about. So, okay, Joel, all right, you've given me three words from the book of Jude, and they are build yourself up. Got it? And... What does that supposedly mean? The word edify
3: is where we get the word edifice, meaning building. This is saying, if you're going to stay encouraged, if you're going to enjoy your life, you have to build up these walls to where you don't allow the negative, the offense, the worry, the frustration into your spirit person.
0: Uh huh. So Jude verse 20 is all about building up the walls in your life in your spirit person, so that you don't experience upset. Okay, now let's test this. All right, if you have your Bible, flip on over to the book of Jude. And since the book of Jude is really only, you know, one chapter, let's read the whole thing. So we'll grab the context. And what I'm going to do is I am not going to tell you when I get to verse 20. There are 25 verses in this letter. That's it. And I'll read the whole thing and see if you can spot the part where Jude talks about the importance of building up a wall in your spirit person so that you don't experience upset. <laughs> Pay close, at- <laughs> close attention because you may not hear it if, you're not, if you don't know what to look for. But uh, here we go. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called. Beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend or fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation. They are ungodly people Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones." But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, and they feast with you without fear, shepherds who feed only themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied saying behold the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such ungodly ways and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him these are grumblers they're malcontents following their own sinful desires they are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage but you must remember beloved the predictions of the apostles of our lord jesus christ they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions it is these who cause divisions they are worldly people they are devoid of the spirit but you beloved Building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. So there it is. What is Jude about? It's a warning to contend for the faith to stir the people up who are Christians who are reading this, to contend for the faith because false teachers have infiltrated the ranks of Christians and are teaching things that they ought not to teach, and they're blaspheming God. And Jude describes them as waterless rain clouds,
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: trees, fruit-bearing trees that don't have any fruit on them in the autumn when they should be uh, producing a harvest. They are worldly people who are devoid of the Spirit. Now did you see anything in there about the all important make sure that you you have a a wall built up in your spirit man so that you can um make sure that you don't experience upset Yeah I didn't <laughs> see that portion either Now let me do, let me do this I'm going to back up the uh the video just a smidge of Joel Osteen so that we can hear him in context say what it is, yeah, again, what, we're, what Jude verse 20 is supposedly teaching so that you can hear that he's completely missed the point. In fact, missed the point in such a way that makes you have to ask the question, can the man read? Let's listen again. The scripture says
3: to build yourself up. One translation says to edify yourself. The word edify is where we get the word edifice, meaning building.
0: Now, remember, this is from Jude verse 20, all three words of it. This is
3: saying, if you're going to stay encouraged, if you're going to enjoy your life, you have to build up these walls to where you don't allow the negative, the offense, the worry, the frustration into your spirit person.
0: Well, that's weird, because when I just read the entire letter of Jude, there was nothing about letting negative things into your spirit person mentioned by Jude. Joel Osteen here is twisting God's Word badly. We continue. We only have so much emotional energy each
3: day. You will have opportunities to spend it on things that don't matter. Stuck in traffic, stressed out, frustrated... You are spending emotional energy that you need for your own goals, your own dreams.
0: And yet the book of Jude doesn't say anything about spending emotional energy and having to protect my own goals and my own dreams. I mean, how, how is it possible for a man who claims to be a Christian pastor to so badly twist God's word and not have pangs of guilt come over his conscience because of the evil that he's engaging in. I mean, this is ridiculous. Or upset about what somebody said about you. Thinking about
3: how you're going to pay them back. Calling a friend. Can you believe they said that? That's emotional energy you're not going to have for your own family to play with your children at night. It's not only doing you a disservice, you're doing them a disservice.
0: The one who's doing the disservice is you, Joel. You're preaching falsehoods. You're twisting God's word and you're not preaching and teaching the truth. You are doing everybody who's listening to you a disservice by mangling God's word and blaspheming God's name by what you're doing. You've got to put some
3: walls up. Quit allowing everything on the inside. If you'll stay
0: in peace, God will fight your battles for you. If I stay in peace, God will fight my battles for me. What verse says that? Not any of them in the book of Jude. Oh, that's right. You're just making up your own theology here. This is
3: the reason many people don't enjoy life. Co-workers not treating them right. Sours the whole day. A problem at home. They're so worried. It's constantly on the forefront of their mind. There's always something keeping them offended, frustrated, stressed. It's like a dark cloud follows them everywhere they go.
0: It's funny that you'd mention dark clouds because Jude does talk about waterless clouds swept along by winds and fruitless trees in late autumn that are twice dead, uprooted, and wild waves of the sea casting up their own foam, or the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever, because that those waterless clouds, the you know the shepherds who feed only themselves. Uh, Well, Jude calls a woe down on them. And Joel, that's exactly what you sound like. You sound like one of these waterless rain clouds and fruit trees that has no fruit on it. This is not Christian preaching that we're hearing from you. This is utter blasphemy.
3: That cloud would leave if you would quit letting that get into your spirit person. It may come to your mind. You can't stop people from saying things, you can't prevent all the negative. But you don't have to allow that to get into your spirit. You can dismiss it and say, you know what? I'm not dwelling on it.
0: Well, there's an idea. I think I'll just dismiss you, Joel, and not dwell on you anymore, at least for this episode of Fighting for the Faith. Moving along. From the Christian Post, the headline reads, Westboro Baptist Church founder and civil rights attorney Fred Phelps dies. Yeah, the story reads that um, that uh, Phelps, uh, founder of Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas, has died. Uh, Phelps, whose children confirmed earlier this week that uh, he was on at the edge of death, passed away just before midnight on Wednesday, uh, reported WIBW. Earlier this week, Phelps' son Nathan, an LGBT advocate, wrote in a Facebook post that his father had been excommunicated from the church in 2013. Nearly 60 years ago, in 1955, Phelps founded his controversial church in Topeka, Kansas, which has gained notoriety, Yeah, that's like negative publicity, in recent years for picketing soldiers' funerals, concerts, and churches, which they see as condoning homosexuality. Members of the church, uh, which is mostly composed of Phelps' extended family, are known for showing up with signs proclaiming, Thank God for dead soldiers and God hates fags. The church also sees the 9/11 terrorist attacks as proof of God's judgment on the United States for allowing homosexuality and abortion. While many have tried to ban the group from protesting funerals, the United States Supreme Court ruled in 2011 that that under the First Amendment, Westboro Baptist and members of his congregation could not be sued for inflicting pain on families. Outside of his work at Westboro, Phelps also earned a law degree at Washburn University in 1964 before being barred from practice for being overly abusive to witnesses. (laughs) There's a tough one to believe. Phelps worked as a civil rights attorney until 1979, where he once claimed that he had systematically brought down the Jim Crow laws of this town. Phelps was closely tied with Kansas Democratic Party, uh, helping Al Gore in 1988 uh, in his presidential campaign. He also was invited to uh, and attended both of Bill Clinton's inaugurations, though the second time he showed up as a protester. News of Phelps's impending death left many in the LGBTQ community, uh, their families and some churches, to figure out how to graciously respond to someone who they held responsible for antagonizing them over the years. Nathan reflected his ambivalence on his post earlier this week. Quote, I'm not sure how I feel about this. terribly ironic that his devotion to his God ends this way, destroyed by the monster he made. He wrote, I feel sad for all the hurt that he's caused so many. I feel sad for those who will lose the grandfather and father they loved, and I'm bitterly angry that my family is blocking the family member's who left from seeing him and saying their goodbyes. Phelps is uh, survived by his wife, Margie M. Sims, and five children, Nathan Phelps, Mark Phelps, Rebecca Phelps Davis, Margie Phelps, and Shirley Phelps Roper. Both Nathan and Mark broke away from their father's denomination several years ago. It is unclear if the family intends to hold a funeral for Phelps. Margie tweeted a report in February that any event was that any event was unlikely we w- don't worship the dead in this church so there's there there's to be no public memorial or funeral to picket if any member died she wrote so there you go and uh here here's the sad part about this is that for years this man has been a menace he's been a menace to the christian church he's been a menace uh to soldiers uh, and their families especially the families of dead soldiers. I mean, and he's just been an absolute menace. And Ezekiel makes it clear that the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. And the sad part about this is that for many people, Fred Phelps and Westboro Baptist has been, quote, the face of Christianity. And at this point, it's 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 very sad and tragic. And our, our, our hopes and prayers would be that prior to his death, he repented. Because this is a man who... Rather than preaching the good news, and what is the good news? That Christ died for our sins, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Rather than preaching the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God won by Christ on the cross, um, he's become synonymous, Fred Phelps has become synonymous with a message whose, which by its own admission is all about hate and that shows well a terrible twisting of god's word uh and and a preaching the false preaching of god that turns god into a monster and the sad part about all of this is that christ bled and died for fred phelps's sins we can only pray that in his in his last days that he repented of his false doctrine and repented of his false teaching and repented of his hate and that somehow, how how I don't know, in the midst of all of what was going on there at Westboro Baptist, he was able to hear the good news that God loved Fred Phelps and died for him and he repented and trusted only in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. That's our only hope. For him, and I, I have no idea if that's happened, and I'm not his judge, God is, but um you know my hope now is that with Fred Phelps gone, that uh maybe just maybe Westboro Baptist will begin to run out of steam, pray for the people in Westboro Baptist that are still there in their leadership, pray that they're brought to repentance, and that the monster God that they're preaching um that they would see it for what it is and reject it because it's a god of their own making even though it's covered in christian language and biblical ease it's not it's not the biblical god that they worship so that's where we're at it's a big story and you know what i might do um a few years ago i actually interviewed shirley phelps roper here at fighting for the faith it was uh (laughs) quite a spirited exchange and, uh, you know, I tried to be gracious and kind to her, but the other thing is, is I asked her some tough questions and it resulted in her hanging up on me, which I think is rather fascinating. So I'll put a link up to that for, with today's episode of fighting for the faith. I'll, I might even put it in the podcast is kind of like a, uh, Fighting for the Faith classic, you know, it's it's worth passing along. All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is fightingforthefaith.com. or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at christian. Quick break, when we come back, interview with Brent Kuhlman of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska, regarding Norm Metzler's article um, that's basically... Yeah, coming out in favor of gay marriage. And the guys in LCMS, um the theologians. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
4: If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
1: Nobody expects a purpose-driven Inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian jokes. Damn, I can't say it. You'll have to say it.
4: Uh, what?
1: You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are.
4: Uh, I I couldn't do that. <clears throat>
0: I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition.
4: Uh, nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who our do
1: our chief ex- weapons are
4: our chief weapons are um purpose. Uh, uh, vision, Okay, and- okay, stop,
1: stop that, stop that. Uh, our chief weapons are purpose. blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. You're, you're like, hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program? That's enough! Now, how do you plead?
0: Well, we're we're innocent. innocent. Ha!
1: Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about
2: that!
0: Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's Featured advertiser, Cheap Air. Cheap Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheap O'Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheap Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional... $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning! Listening to fighting for the faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they're not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's not just law, it's law and gospel, sin and grace. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate. Button, or you can make your gift payable too, Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is my interview earlier uh, with uh, Pastor Brent Kuhlman of Trinity Lutheran Church, Murdoch, Nebraska, as we discuss uh, an LCMS theologian by the name of Norman Metzler who's actually teaching falsely regarding homosexual marriage, and things like that from the recent Daystar Journal article entitled Marriage Policies of the LCMS. Here we go. All right, on the line, I have Brent Kuhlman, pastor of uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska, and I've invited him on the program to interact with uh, some of the statements made in a uh, recent uh, journal article uh, published by the Daystar Journal uh, by Norman Metzler, and the name of the uh, article is entitled Marriage Policies of the LCMS. Uh, uh, Pastor Kuhlman, thank you for coming on Fighting for the Faith.
4: You're welcome. Good to be with you. Uh,
0: you know, although i got to tell you, this is not the first time you've been on Fighting for the Faith. The problem is, I've never interacted with you. We've always played your <laughs> sermons, you know. <laughs> And uh, you know the way I the way I liken you when, whenever I listen to your sermons, I always picture you in camel's hair and uh, spitting locust legs out of your mouth while you're preaching. So, um, okay, let's. Hang on tight. <laughs> All right. So this uh, Daystar Journal article, um, marriage policies of the LCMS. I was very, very discouraged to see an LCMS theologian uh, take the tack that he's taken and uh, really kind of op- you know opening up the door for the possibility that guys in the LCMS would um let's just say warm up to the idea of gay marriage and, and in particular partway through his article he makes this statement and i and i want to interact with you on this he says it is clear that the bible nowhere expressly addresses and therefore prohibits gay marriage Is that true? The Bible nowhere expressly addresses and prohibits gay marriage. Therefore, the LCMS's policies are contrary to Scripture regarding marriage. Is is that true?
4: No, no. Uh, This this is very unfortunate. Um, The Bible clearly, clearly teaches what marriage is and who it's for. And, you know, one of the things that's missing in his article, and this is one of the things that's usually missing with guys like this, who want to push a progressive theological agenda? By the way, a side note here: Metzler's just the flip side of the progressive um, secular politician. Uh, there, we have these kind of same people, theologically speaking, in the church, whether it's the Missouri Synod, the Presbyterian, the Episcopalian, Roman Catholic, whatever. He's the flip side of the secular progressives who try to bring about a utopian, to use our language, kingdom of God on the earth. Mm-hmm. Now that's a whole other story, but let's, the Bible does does speak to this issue. For example. Uh, Lutherans always go to mandate and institution passages when they want to find out what's going on with certain topics. And this is one of them, marriage, what it is and who it's for. And there are mandate and institution passages. It's very clear, Genesis 1. For example, uh, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now notice in the context of creating male and female, verse 28, he blesses them. And he says to them, the male and the female, <laughs> be fruitful and increase in number, etc. And then in chapter 2, uh, in Genesis here, when uh, God parades all the animals in front of Adam and they've all got their mate and he names them, but you know Adam doesn't have one. So what does God do? He says, well, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now well, let's find out what uh, kind of helper he makes. Is it another man? Not hardly. So I'm going to skip ahead to verse, uh, oh, the end of verse 20. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he sleeps, he takes one of the man's ribs, closes up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, brought her to the man, and said, and the man says, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man, and then the comment, and i 'll just use the, this word for lack of better terminology, the editorial comment to explain what 's just happened verse twenty four for this reason, in other words, what God has just done for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his uh, are you listening, folks? His wife. And they will become one flesh. These are the mandate and institution passages of holy marriage. What it is and who it's for. And Metzler just skips over this. He doesn't even mention this in the article. And so when you don't start with the mandate and institution passages, well, then anything goes. Right. And it's interesting, too. Jesus references this in Matthew 19 when uh, uh, the experts in God's Word want to find a loophole. And uh, you know, in Jesus' day, you could divorce your wife for any reason at all, including burning the wife, burning your toast. So you know, can we divorce our wife for any reason they ask? And Jesus, what's he do? He's, I'll paraphrase in Matthew 19. He says, "Haven't you read your Bibles? It was not so in the beginning. And then he quotes exactly what I just quoted from Genesis in particular, verse 24, And then he says, "What God has joined together: a man should never separate. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm going to repeat this. Lutherans always begin with mandate and institution passages and guess what marriage has it i just quoted them
0: hmm okay so he's not starting at the uh the beginning where it should be and uh and is as a result of it he's off topic so to speak now i i also find it interesting you know in my study of the biblical languages when we uh take a look at genesis uh chapter 2 verse 18 where it says uh, that it is not good that the man should be alone i will make for him a helper uh fit for him that the uh, the hebrew word there ezer it's not just talking about a he uh, you know a helper in the sense that you know hey i'm looking for you know some kind of a you know house person to come and be a servant uh the uh, the Hebrew word there actually uh, means opposite or counter uh, or, or counterpart or something corresponding to him it's you almost kind of look at you know it the the uh, the Hebrew word is there there is talking about um you know like a two jigsaw puzzles that fit together they're they their counterparts that lock together that's the, what the Hebrew word means there and uh I, yeah, I don't see any way around it uh just you know just from the creation itself, uh, a suitable counterpart, would never be another man for me. It's, it would Correct. be it would be a woman. Um, Correct. So Correct. you know, I mean, I I don't understand how somebody who's supposed to be a Lutheran theologian, who's uh, been taught by you know LCMS institutions on how to do hermeneutics and rightly handle God's word, could possibly uh, come up with you know, the statements that he's made and uh and believe that what he's telling people is honestly the truth regarding what scripture says something seems to be very off here now the other question i would i would you know in light of this is uh when we talk you know in in romans in the book of romans where it talks about our descent into sin you know as a result of our rejecting the truth regarding god um it addresses the issue of uh, of lust and passion toward Uh, somebody of the opposite sex, and it doesn't actually uh, speak favorably of it, it speaks unfavorably of it. Let me read the passage. um, uh, It'll take a, a little bit of time here, but this is from the ESV. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. "...for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world." in the things that have been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, so when we get to verse 24, because they've rejected God, um, therefore... God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was forever blessed. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Uh, for their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. now, the reason I bring this up is because the biblical texts make it very clear here that same sex attractions and passions in and of themselves are contrary to uh, to what God desires, and in some senses you can even argue are a punishment or, you know a, a judgment of God. Uh, upon a person who suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. But so many so-called progressive theologians today, the way they argue this text, it's as if to say, well, listen, because the Bible doesn't, in in so many words, say gay marriage isn't right, and it doesn't address this idea of same-sex attraction, therefore, somehow it leaves it as an open question that we can now, as, as Christians, say, well, you know, this person was born this way, this is their orientation, Therefore, since the Bible you know, doesn't expressly forbid you know, say dudes marrying dudes, therefore we can somehow leave room for this. I mean, is, this a, is, is there argument true to what Paul argues here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 1?
4: No, not at all. And to piggyback on what you just said, Paul addresses this again in 1 Corinthians 6, and he makes distinctions between, you know, with the certain Greek words, um, where you have the one who's the active mm-hmm. part of the homosexual relationship and the one who then passively receives it. Yep. Very clear in the Greek. And it's, it's, these people are, are excluded. These, In other words, people who not only think this way and desire it, but also put it into practice. And let's say one other thing here. The desire itself is a sin as well as the practice of it. Yep. Let's make that clear as well. But my, the next point I want to make is that Paul says, But that's what some of you were, and you've been washed, and you've been justified, and you've been sanctified, which then tells us that 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 previous way of thinking, desiring, and acting has been redeemed, and therefore you can stop. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing. Here's another thing, Chris. Is maybe this will be helpful for people, because they, they say, well, we read the same Bible that Metzler does. I mean, it's clear to us. What's going on here? I mean, what's the deal? I Here's the deal. I quoted Genesis 1 and 2. We've looked a little bit at Romans 1. I've just referenced First Corinthians 6, etc. You can also reference Ephesians 5, where Christ has a bride, his church, whom he's holied and washed and made, you know, clean and cleansed. And again, that's a male-female relationship. mm mm-hmm. Why would a Metzler say, well, that doesn't address homosexual marriage? Well, here's why. Because Metzler has better words, I'm going to repeat this, he has better words than the Lord's words. (laughs) Wow. And that is exceptionally dangerous, and in fact, let me put it to you this way. Uh, This is the same thing that we encounter in Genesis 3. Metzler is pulling off. Uh, well, let, let me. I'm going to be as blunt as I can. He is, he is being used as an instrument of Satan. Yep. Putting before us the same temptation in the garden. Did God really say? And Metzler is saying no, He really didn't. This is something that needs to be deconstructed, mm-hmm. so that we can we can just simply accept people as they are. Now, I want to. I say that that language on purpose, accept them as they are. When you you run with that fundamental premise, and in particular with this topic, homosexuality, homosexual marriage, etc., that the Church needs to accept these people as they are and by doing so we're winsome and loving and missional, guess who's the odd man out in all of this?
0: Well, anybody who's preaching law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins is automatically ruled out.
4: Right. And more importantly, Jesus yep. as the Savior of sinners. So what Metzler's doing here when he says that the Bible nowhere expressly addresses and therefore prohibits gay marriage, and by by implication, therefore it's all right, he then excludes sinners from Jesus who is the Savior of sinners. And so what's church all about? Well, it isn't about confessing sin, and it isn't about receiving the forgiveness of sins for this particular sin. And so when I ask the question, who's the odd man out, it's not just the sinner, but it's Jesus. And so then Jesus, with all this talk about being winsome and loving and accepting people as they are, guess what? The church purposely excludes Jesus from his Sinners, this is the huge tragedy
0: here. Yeah, and uh, sinners disconnected from Jesus spend eternity in hell, so we haven't actually been winsomely loving them. We've been winsomely sending them to hell is what it basically boils down to. Now, I want to push something on the theology here. When we talk about absolution, when we talk about hearing that your sins are forgiven, that they are no longer on your shoulders, they were placed on Christ's shoulders, and he bled and died for them— One of the things that uh, you know, oftentimes I'll get criticisms uh, of the Law Gospel Distinctive, you know, from people who are not familiar with it, and they'll they'll accuse me as a Lutheran of being some kind of closet Antinomian or something like that. But when we talk about hearing the Absolution. It's 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 more than just being set free from the guilt of sin itself, because Paul in Romans six really actually drives down to the core of the issue and basically says if you're baptized and you're in Christ, your sins have been washed away. You have been set free from slavery to sin itself, and that we through the power of the Spirit and the and the new man that is in us have now some ability to begin to walk in. Freedom from slavery to sin. But what these guys are doing are basically saying, Listen, it's not a big deal, you know, God loves you just the way you are, and you know, and he's just gonna wink at it anyway. I mean, Christ died on the cross, so wink wink, just do whatever you want. It's no big problem. Is that a proper understanding of law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins?
4: No, that's why Paul had to address this. And he's and, he, and let me add to what you said from Romans six, Paul says that you've died. Right. <laughs> you've died to all that in, in in baptism into Christ's death and so therefore uh, you've been raised to live a new life and then that's why he says later on in the chapter do not offer the parts of your body to sinful desires and so the baptismal life whether it's the, the, the sin of homosexuality or maybe it's the sin of adultery or maybe it's the sin of, uh, of not praying maybe it's the sin of uh, uh, whatever you name the sin coveting the slandering yeah,
2: you know.
4: yeah the christian ba- it battles this symbol this is romans 7 the symbol that we are there's two two things that go on or there are two eons in which we live according to romans 6 and romans 7 we have the old eon of sin and and uh our sinful nature and then the new eon, which is Christ, into which we've been baptized, the one who died for sinners. Right. And so there's this constant battle. So again, uh, what we teach is, do you have homosexual desires? That is not God-pleasing if you do. I'm here to tell you that. You need to stop that. Okay? And, and see, this is nothing. The word, then, has the, has the power to, to kill in mm-hmm. that sense. This right. Is, this is what law preaching has to do. The sinner has to be put to death so that the sinner will finally hopefully say uh, with the Holy Spirit-filled word that's been preached in their ears, you're right, pastor. I have sinned in this matter. Now, and then then the pastor will what do you want from God then? Well, I want to be forgiven. Now hear his forgiveness. Now does that mean that the desires are going to cease uh, and maybe the practices are going to cease immediately? Not necessarily. Why? Because this is the Christian battle. Yep. Okay? And well, we're we're just simply calling things what they are. This is what a theologian of the cross does. We we say what things are. Metzler doesn't want to do that, and thus he's got better words than the Lord's words. And bottom line, pick, go backing up a little bit, I want to say something. This is God withinism. Yeah, that's what we're dealing with here. When somebody says, "Well, I've got better words than the Lord's," and then you have to ask, "Well, which are your words?" And then he has to quote sociologists and other uh, soft science stuff. Oh well, then. That's not the Lord's word. It's somebody else's or your own's, and this is what the Reformation identified as enthusiasm. Literally, God within ism, entheos. And this is the old sin of Genesis 3 that we're dealing with here. So, you know, these guys need to be told, you need to repent of this. Metzler, I'm talking about, mm-hmm. and his ilk. Right. They need to be called to repentance on this. Yeah. And you're flat out told, you're absolutely wrong, and you're doing just the opposite of what you intend to do.
0: Well, at least what Here's he's... Here's another
4: thing I want to mention, if I could. Sure, go ahead. Do you, do, you, do you remember the the woman, Margaret Mead, the anthropologist?
0: No, I was never really into anthropology.
4: Well, Aunt Margaret Mead grew up in the Midwest as an Episcopalian. Then she went to the, uh, the college. It was the Women's College at Columbia University. And there in New York, she saw things that she had never seen before. I'm talking about all kinds of... Of deviant sexual activity. You name it, she saw it. Now, she, she became captivated by this. And one of the things that she, her lifelong project, both professionally and personally, became this, is I'm going to make sure that what I was taught as an Episcopalian is eliminated. Why? Because that's too restrictive. It doesn't give me freedom. Now, what did she grow up with? (laughs) What we just quoted from Genesis 1 Genesis 2, etc. So, Margaret Mead's entire professional and personal life then became one thing, and I'll put it this way, and I hope this is helpful, to eliminate or to do away with God's Word or God's law, its mandate and institution here on holy marriage. Now, what did she try to use to eliminate god's clear word in genesis one and two etc her own words right her own words and the other thing too is there's only there's only one person in the universe who can do away with the law properly and who's that jesus yeah that's right (laughs) she wouldn't use jesus but she used anthropology to do it and of course theologically speaking She failed to help people and edify them. Instead, she enslaved them all the more. And that's the
0: Romans one. Right. And see, that's the whole point is that if we're going to talk about the real biblical categories of slavery and freedom, which is a constant theme throughout Scripture, you know, people talk about the ability to participate unfettered in sexual deviancy as freedom. And they want to be unfettered. Fettered by God's law, but that, according to Scripture, is not freedom. That is ultimate bondage and slavery. So much so that on the last day, that you don't even, you know, you're you're tossed into the lake of fire. This is this is you know, that. So you're in bondage and slavery forever. Then you know you're not set free. Whereas. God's law, and this is you know an aspect of it that a lot of people, especially Lutherans, get a little bit squirrely with, is described as the law of perfect freedom. You want to know what freedom looks like? It looks like being faithful and loving to your opposite-sex spouse. That's yeah. freedom. That's not slavery. Freedom is telling the truth about your neighbor. Slandering and lying about your neighbor is bondage and slavery. And so what happens is people don't think in the biblical terms of slavery and freedom and they come up with a a society that has become licentious and deviant in its sexual behavior and they want the freedom to participate in those things without a guilty conscience, not knowing that what they're doing is searing their conscience and and basically enslaving themselves to the world kind of sin. And, and ultimately, the devil then becomes and stays and continues to be their tyrannical master, and they're not really free.
4: That's right. Uh, you mentioned conscience. This is very important. The guilty conscience always tries to do one thing, and it does it 24-7, 365 as the sinner. It's going to justify itself before other people, before the world, and before God, what we're dealing with here, in my opinion, with Metzler and his ilk, is the justification of the self as well. It's not only a God-withinism, but it, it's it's the flip side, the justification of the self. Um, that's what a god withiner does. And we have to, we have to just simply say, knock it off. Right. It, it's time to die to this. You, you, this is not what the Word of God teaches. And we ha- we have a word from the Lord on this. And if you're if you if you're living in a non God pleasing way, it's time to repent, and it's time to believe the good news that Jesus died for you, the sinner. Yep. We 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 we're all about we're all about preaching Christ who died for sinners and all sin. You name it, He died for it. Yep. Again, proper distinction in all of this.
0: Right but if you're basically telling somebody listen you know you're you're fine just the way you are then you're cutting them off from the forgiveness that's offered in Christ through his his blood on the shed on the cross for the forgiveness of that sin the person is not that's,
4: no, right. that's
0: th- why right they're not penitent coming to Jesus to be forgiven they're just basically told the false truth that like, oh, Jesus is fine with that don't worry about it
4: and this is why generally speaking the Missouri Senate is looked upon as the unwelcoming place. And all the progressive theologians and the progressive churches, are, they call themselves the welcoming place. I mean, Missouri, generally speaking, still, still, despite all of her warts, Missouri still says that sin is sin. You need to repent of it, and you need to believe that Jesus died for, for you, the sinner, and your sin. That's that's the difference here, and this is what we'd like Metzler to say.
0: Right. So ultimately you want you your, your hope and prayer for Metzler is, is that uh he repents of his enthusiasm and offering us a word contrary to scripture, yes. contrary to the Lord's yes. word. Understand that he's played the role of the serpent in saying, Did God really say? And ultimately, he needs to repent and to be forgiven for his enthusiasm and his other words that are contrary to God's word, so that he is no, in, not in bondage to his false doctrine and enthusiasm. That's what you're basically That's calling right. for. Um, That's right. That's and right. and what if he persists in his uh, in his enthusiasm and his alternate words? What what's to be done with somebody like this who is a kind of a high profile uh, theologian within the
4: LCMS? I keep going after him. Keep talking to him.
0: All
2: right.
4: Let the conversation continue. Uh, and and you know, depending on you know, it, you take each situation on its own. And hypothetically speaking, let's just assume he he won't listen to a call to repent. All right. Let him let him let him uh, uh, let him sit with these words. For example, let's say, for instance, you and I would go and talk to him, and we'd say essentially what we sit, we're talking about today in our in our program. And he says, "Nope, you're wrong." I could say, "Well, brother, we're here to tell you that you're wrong, and you'd better repent of this because if you don't, it's not going to go well with you." Now, we'd like to talk to you again, so we're going to be back.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like you know, have you, ever, have you ever shocked barley?
0: Um, not on purpose. No, no, I, I don't even <laughs> think I've done it accidentally.
4: <laughs> talk to the farmers who shocked barley, and when they're out in the field doing that, you know, the barley head's got these barbs on its head. You know and when it gets inside the pant leg that barley head will work its way up all the way up your your uh, pant leg up to your crotch oh yeah. unless you pull it out so my point is is all right we'll speak the word of god to our brother who's sinned and let let it just sit for a while and let the word of god be like that barley head and let it just work its way up to his crotch until he can't stand it anymore and he'll say yeah i do need to talk to you again let's talk <laughs> All right. And the whole point, whole point of all of this. What's the whole point of calling people to repentance? So we can tell them now Jesus died for that sin. He right, died for you, the sinner. That's the whole point. So we can win them. Right, Matthew eighteen.
0: It's not about saying, neener, 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 I was right, and you're right. wrong. It, it's, that's a lot of people think that's what. It, so this is not about just because you you're just an arrogant. Person, because you, you you know you you studied God's word, and so you have head knowledge versus heart knowledge, and and you don't understand the the true heart of of God and stuff like this, and, and you're just an arrogant gunky head who who feels like he has to tell everybody uh, that he's better than uh, uh, you know than everybody else. That's not what this is about.
4: Yeah, because I'm I'm as big a sinner as all the homosexuals. Yeah, you want to talk about sexual sin? I mean, the Matthew text. If you if you've looked at a woman lustfully in your heart, well, that just kills me. Yep. I mean, I'm, so, I, I, you're right, I'm not, I'm not any better. But the point is, is that when we deal with people who've sinned, we, we give them the high pastoral care of saying, brother, this is not right, this is not God-pleasing, whether it's a Metzler or if it's a homosexual who has desires, or whether it's a couple, a homosexual couple who've received a marriage, if you will, quote, marriage. And we, we call them to repentance, which is, confess your sin, and believe that Jesus died for you, the sinner. Right, and then and then let the Holy Spirit let that word of gospel bear fruit in people's lives. Right. Remember, Paul says in Galatians, there is no law with with regard to the fruit of the Spirit.
2: Yep. Yep.
4: We just our problem is we just don't trust the Word of God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we're all. And, and this is kind of not an, one of them. Yeah, and, and this <laughs> is this is another thing I want to make very clear is that the call to repentance is not a call of me above somebody else or you above somebody else calling them to come up to our level. That's not actually what the call of repentance is. The call of repentance is somebody down on the bottom level who doesn't have a ladder who says to the person who thinks he's climbing a ladder, get down here with the rest of us. We're all sinners and we're all equal in this together. Stop thinking you can climb your way up to heaven by your own ideas. Yeah. All right. So, all right. The name again of the article is, uh, the marriage policies of the LCMS and, um, and, uh, I, Pastor Kuhlman, I appreciate you taking the co- time to come on fighting for the faith to discuss this. And, uh, we will pray that, uh, Metzler and, uh, the theologians of Daystar will, uh, hear your call to repentance and hear God's law, accusing them of their false doctrine and their deconstructing words uh, akin to the serpent and that they will repent and uh, and be forgiven for uh, for this uh, these blatantly false words that they've said in the name of god which is ultimately a blasphemy uh in using god's name to teach something contrary to what he's actually said
4: amen amen to that yeah
0: thank you chris thank you so what'd you think love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fighting or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back sermon review uh, basically a sermon about jacob esau and isaac and that whole stealing of the blessing thing believe me when i tell you it's not what you think it's about stay tuned we'll be right back
4: God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
0: High Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs> Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Kind of throw my question out again. What if the story of Jacob, Esau, and Isaac and that stealing of the blessing isn't about family dysfunctionality? What if Isaac is the one who's in the wrong? Yeah, I know. It's You're thinking, nah, nah, really? Yeah, uh-huh. Stay tuned. We'll get right to it, but let's do this right. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Stonebridge Christian Church, Omaha, Nebraska. Mark Chitwood presiding. The name of the sermon series is Game Show. Yeah, that's right. That's their sermon series entitled... And the name of the sermon from the series is entitled Deal or No Deal, and it's going to somewhat, kind of, sort of be about the story of Jacob and Isaac and Esau and the whole deception that took place regarding the blessing thing, but so many people mess this story up, and the reason they mess it up is because they don't pay attention to what's going on in the text, and we're going to try to clear that up, so... Let me go ahead and kill the music, and without any further ado, here is Mark Chitwood and uh, the Deal or No Deal sermon from his game show sermon series. Here we go.
5: All right. Uh, you must have had your Red Bulls. Good job. Uh, we, did, uh, we did hand out monster drinks to the uh, 830 service. This is a rough weekend, you know, uh, daylight savings time and... Plus, most of the people that come at eight thirty. In anyway, so they're. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think there's a few monster drinks still left out there. If you if uh, if you need help during the message, um, I'll pray here in a second. No, you can you welcome to go get it. I had my first one today, so this uh, this message is going to be fast and short.
0: I mean, how relevant of them, you know, when the time changed, you know, spring forward, fall back. During the spring, fall forward, you know, you always lose that hour. I mean, it was really nice of them to offer all of their congregants, you know, Red Bull and Monster Energy drinks. Wow. I mean, oh. Uh Yeah. I love watching Deal or
5: No Deal. I think it's a hilarious show. Uh, We're in a game show series, uh, and uh,
0: we're we're answering some of the tough questions in the Old Testament. You know, he says it so nonchalantly. We're in the middle of a game show series, he said, during a sermon at a church that calls itself a Christian church. And, you know, this has become so normal today that, I mean, we, we hardly bat an eye at it. But think about this. The sentence he said is patently absurd. The job of a pastor is to preach the word. We're in the middle of a game show series, he says. This is ridiculous. Let's continue.
5: And we've been dealing with this for several weeks now, and and today is deal or no deal. I think Howie Mandel is hilarious. I just love that whole deal. And and people on that show are are just stupid. They are. They're just dumb. right because they 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 are convinced that they you know that they're going to pick the right suitcase and and because they've studied you know and they've um researched and uh no they have absolutely they have no idea what they're doing right they're just picking a number this is my kid's favorite number this is my, you know they don't know and and so they start eliminating things and the numbers keep going up like hey you know we're going to give you twenty five thousand dollars if you stop right now and like no deal Right? And it's like, no deal, I'm not doing that. And uh, so then it goes up a little higher and higher and, and uh, you know there's like a hundred grand out there. And people, you know, like I'm thinking, just push the button, push the button, that's a hundred thousand dollars. And and they're looking over at their relatives and their friends and their friends are like, no deal. <laughs> Because you know what? Because they're they're idiots too, right? They they have no idea. They have no idea what's in that suitcase. But they're all convinced that they have somehow magically made the best decision possible in picking out that million or $500,000. They know, they know, they know. And then then they just keep going. And eventually they find out that they picked a $5 suitcase. And... um, and that's really uh, you know it's kind of a little microcosm of how oftentimes we make decisions and do life right is because we think hey you know we're just going to randomly you know without thinking we're and, and in fact i hear this all the time i'm going to uh, i'm going to just trust my gut on this well maybe you just ate at taco bell maybe that's what's going on in your gut right now you're like oh my gut's telling me yeah hmm, hmm. too many burritos yeah, that's what your gut is telling you. Or you're going to trust some people like, hey, what do you think? What do you think? I don't know. Do you, do you, I don't know. Just go for it. Just go for it. Do it. Hey, follow your dream. Like, what? You want me to be a, like, what?
0: Yeah, I do it. All right. And uh, now, if I hadn't have told you that this sermon is supposedly about Jacob, Esau, and the uh, deception involved in getting the blessing would you know, I mean, we're three minutes into this. Would you know that, that what this that that's what this sermon is supposedly about based on what he's saying? <laughs> no, not at all. What does this have to do with the story of Jacob and Esau and, and Isaac and the blessing? What does this have to do with that? Uh, and and they're, they don't, they're, they're really not even
5: invested in the whole deal. They don't really care, right? They just think, you know, hey, you do whatever. And so we, we make these decisions based on our feelings or based on a gut deal. And then oftentimes we're like, oh, I just want to be happy. And, and, and again, um, we end up with, with, kind of, with nothing. We're just not, whole, not a whole lot there. And so um, we're going to take a look at today some, some guys who, who didn't do so well in the deal or no deal thing,
0: you know, making decisions mostly based on their gut based on the fact Okay, now listen to what he just said. So, they didn't do well in the deal or no deal thing and they were making decisions based on their gut. I'm going to challenge it, but I'm not going to actually explain the details here. That's patently false. If you know the story and you've paid attention to the details, okay? There's something very interesting going on in the story here and the person who is at really at fault is Isaac you know you're thinking R- really no one's ever told me that I'll demonstrate it from the biblical text shortly but let's let them spin this out just a little farther that they are hungry based on the
5: fact that they're greedy and uh, and again we oftentimes make decision poor decisions based on uh, my I'm, I'm you know hungry or I, um, I I want stuff and so we're going to take a look at this um, today uh, this story in the Old Testament again, Uh, These guys are growing up in a very, very uh, messed up home. Uh, uh, It is
0: dysfunction after dysfunction. Messed up home, dysfunction. Really? I'm not familiar with all the messed up dysfunction going on in that home.
5: So uh, now they're twins, and and they're opposite. They're just completely opposite. One is a manly man. Uh, He loves to hunt. He loves to fish. Uh, he, uh, He smells like he hunts. Um, by the way, if you're spraying urine on you so that you can hunt better,
0: what is what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you bringing that up in the middle of this? What are you talking about? Why are you off on this tangent, and how does this help illustrate the biblical text from Genesis?
5: <laughs> you know, i got friends, like, they'll go elk hunting, and they get some of, sort of like stuff from Cabela's that you can spray on you so that you'll smell like elk urine. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, that's a difficult... You know, you can go into Dillard's or something and people are spraying stuff on you all the time. But if you go to Cabela's, they're spraying stuff on you. Run! Like, get out of there. Like, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, don't be spraying that stuff on me. But guys will do that. Like, hey, I want to... You know, so I'm, I'm stealth. Like, getting out there so, like... You know, uh, when the elk smells me, they're like, hmm, wonder what that is. All right. Um, But this guy's a manly man. He he loves to cook. He loves the outdoors. He probably drives a Ford F-150 Raptor. I mean, this guy's a manly man. He's hairy. He's the Duck Dynasty dude. He's just out there. Now, his brother, his twin brother, is just completely opposite. He's kind of a mama's boy. Likes hanging around house. He doesn't even know how to cook. He smells good. Um and, uh, probably drives a Mini Cooper.
0: No big deal. Just so that's the setup for the story. And because he's not actually preaching through the biblical text in Genesis. He's not actually correctly understanding what this text is really about.
5: Saying <laughs> All right. You don't believe me? Let's read. Genesis 27. It's in the Bible. <laughs> one day when Isaac was old, this his daddy, dad's old, and he's turning blind. He calls for Esau, his, his oldest son, first one out. Uh says, My son, yes, father, I am old now, and I don't know when I may die take your bow and quiver full of arrows, go out into the open country, hunt some wild game for me, prepare my favorite dish, bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that uh, belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. So Isaac's old. He thinks he's going to die. He's 100 years
0: old. He's leaking oil, right? He's uh, just—parts are breaking down. Now, I need to make something clear about this, and that is is that uh, Mark here, uh, Mark Chitwood, is— in the sermon series, he's kind of hopping around from story to story, but he's not really telling the whole story for any story. Like the following week after this, he t- does the story of Moses, at least a portion of the story, the burning bush incident. Uh, but this is no way to actually teach the Old Testament in a way that actually correctly handles what the New Testament or the sorry the Old Testament texts are about. So before we let him get any farther, I think it's time for us to open up our Bibles. And for us to take a look at what's going on in the story of Jacob, the story of Isaac, the story of Rebekah. If you have your Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, and we'll start at verse 19. Now, if you remember, Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for his son Isaac, Okay. Well, that's what happened. That her name was Rebecca, and she came back, and she became um, Isaac's wife. The story kind of picks up from here, you know. And, and Abraham goes on, and he dies, and, and you know. So this is this is kind of picking things up, and we at least in the story. And th- this is what it says: These are the generations of Isaac or Itzhak, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So she was barren. Isaac prays, she conceives. Okay, now, just kind of a note here. When you see these kinds of stories where somebody's barren and then they give birth, those are all in some ways type and shadow that points us to the Virgin Mary. Okay. This this one of the things that God's doing is kind of preparing us for Jesus' birth through these kind of miraculous birth type of narratives. Okay. Rather fascinating that you have this recurring theme in the messianic line. All right, so let me continue. So Isaac prayed to the Lord. For his wife, because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer, Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, this is the important part. So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, it doesn't say where she went. Who did she go to? How did she inquire of the Lord? The text is silent. So, you can't say. Now, I will say this that there has been speculation that the person she went to was Melchizedek. Okay. Perfectly fine hypothesis, but there's no way to prove it. None whatsoever. So, we don't know how, or who she went to to find this out, but we do know this. Biblical text tells us that she went to inquire of Yahweh and the Lord told her this. So, we have a direct, true revelation from the Lord. To Rebecca, here's what God said. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. Who's the one who's going to get the messianic promise? Because keep in mind, we're talking about Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Esau. We're talking about the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Who's the one on whom of these twins is going to be the Messianic, uh, the one in the, the line, direct line of the Messiah? <clears throat> the younger one. How do we know this? This is what the Lord said. This is what this is about. So do you think Rebecca told her husband? She told her husband. Right. Okay. So we have a direct word from God. Regarding this, we continue. So, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like hair, a hairy cloak, so that they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heels. His name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So clearly here, you've got a little bit of parental favoritism going on here. But now we're going to learn a little bit about Esau. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew... Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright uh huh so <clears throat> this is not this is not good in fact the other passages of scripture rebuke esau here for despising something as important as the birthright and selling it for something as silly and ridiculous as a cup of stew so we've got a problem here esau has a huge character problem a ginormous character problem but It doesn't end there. We learn a little bit more about Esau, and here's what it says. When Esau was 40 years old, this is chapter 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Okay, we've got a problem here. We've got a big problem, but... What was the word of the Lord? Who was the one who is in the messianic line? The answer is the younger. Jacob is. Does Isaac know this? Yes, he does. And, dis- and here's where the issue is. Despite the fact that they have a direct word from Lord, the Lord that the younger is going to be the one who's being served by the older, okay, despite the fact they have a direct word from the Lord, Isaac favors Esau and favors him despite the fact that he is so foolish that he sold his birthright for a cup of soup and so disrespectful of his parents that he that he married a Hittite woman uh, actually not just one but two Hittite women that made life miserable for his parents okay so <clears throat> despite all of this direct word of the lord esau's clear and apparent Um, character problems, shall we say, Um, Isaac continues to favor Esau to the point where Isaac is ready to give the blessing to Esau, despite the fact that the clear word of the Lord was that the younger would be the one who had that, who should be having that. Here, Isaac is about to give really the messianic blessing on Esau. But God has not chosen Esau. God has chosen Jacob. So what this, this whole scenario here is that Isaac is going to move forward in doing something he knows he should not be doing. The word of the Lord has made it clear this is not what he should, should be doing. His own son's huge character flaws, you know, sinful flaws, if you would, make it clear he should not be doing this. And Isaac's going to go through with it anyway. That's the problem here. In fact, let me read to you from a commentary, uh, just a good commentary, just basic level commentary. This would be uh, from Kretzmann's commentary, and uh, here's what it says. In fact, I'm in uh, chapter 27, and here's what uh, Paul Kretzmann writes about this. It was not the sudden whim of an old man which was here revealed, but a carefully prepared plan according to which Esau was to obtain by some game, by chase, and then to prepare the meat in a way of which he knew that it pleased his father. In spite of the divine utterance before the birth of the children, which was undoubtedly known to him, and the careless and almost contemptuous disposal of his birthright by Esau, in spite also of the latter's objectionable marriage to the Canaanite women, Isaac persisted in his preference for Esau, even in the very important matter of transmitting the messianic promise. Even in the believers and the weakness of the flesh will often grow into a sulky obstinacy by ignoring God's manifest guidance. So even Kretzmann here, you know, who wrote his commentary long ago, points out the fact that what's going on here is that Isaac is showing obstinacy and ignoring God's manifest guidance that it's the the older is to serve the younger, and he's preferring Esau. That's the setup for the story. So let me read that. So when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son? And he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now... Then take your weapons and your quiver and your bow and go out into the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I might eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebecca was listening and Rebecca, remember, she inquired of the Lord. The Lord was the one who said the older will serve the younger. So Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for the game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, "I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare your prepare me delicious food that I might eat it and bless you before the uh, before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good goats so that I might prepare them Uh, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, behold, my brother Esau is hairy and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me. My son only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So Rebecca has to spring into action. What's prompting her okay well yes you could say she loved jacob but it's more than that she has a clear word of the lord that the older of her sons would serve the younger the older is not going to be the one who receives the messianic blessing but the younger and isaac is going against that clear word of the lord she's acting on on it at this point she's got to find a way to keep this thing that isaac's gonna do from happening, okay? So she went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared the delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and the skins of the young goats. She put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she put the delicious food and the bread that had been prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, "My father!" And he said, "Here I am. Who are you, my son?" Jacob said to his father, "I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat, uh, eat of my game that your soul may that your soul may bless me." But Isaac said to his son, "How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son?" He answered, "Because the Lord your God granted me success." Then Isaac said to Jacob, "Come near, and uh, that I might feel you, my son, and know whether you are really my son or not." So Jacob went near his uh, to Isaac, his father, and felt him, and said. The voice is Jacob's voice, but his hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And then he, sa- he said, Bring it uh, bring it near to me that I might eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near him and he ate and, and brought with him wine and he drank. And then his fi- father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is the Messianic covenant. This is the Messianic blessing. Because ultimately the one to, who this, to whom this blessing finally arrives in all of its fullness is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who, if somebody curses, is cursed. And Jesus Christ is the one who is, if anyone blesses, he is blessed. He is, Jesus Christ is the one whom every nation will bow down to. So this is the messianic blessing here. That's what's going on. And Isaac was about to put this on Esau. Despite the fact the clear word of the Lord was that this was not to fall on the older one, but to fall on the younger son. That's what's going on here. So there's a lot of intrigue. Definitely a lot of intrigue and some deceit to go along with it. All right? So that's what's going on in this story. And now that you know what's going on and that Isaac is really the one who is at fault, and Rebecca is acting in response to and because of the sure word of the Lord, let's see if uh, Mark Chitwood figures this out and if he's able to tell us the story rightly. Because if you don't pay attention to those little details, you're going to mess this story up really easily. Let's continue. And he thinks that he's living in his last days. Uh, Truth
5: is, he's not near death. He thinks he is, but he's not near death. He's going to live another 80 years. But he thinks he's dying, and he's losing his eyesight, and he wants a really good meal. You know, it's like, this may be it. This may be it, Esau. Why don't you give give me some good food, right? And I was thinking, what would I want if it was my last meal? If I'm thinking, this is it, right? And I definitely know what I would want. I want my mom to cook me um, fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy and sweet corn, right? And Because and, I don't care. It's my last meal. I don't care about health at this moment. It's like, fry it up. Uh, you know, that would be great. And I, I love that. I love my mom's cooking, and, and uh, I think that would be awesome. Um, and then for dessert, I would want bacon. And so... <laughs> so Isaac asked his son to get him some good meat. He's going to give him a blessing. It's a prophetic promise this is a prophetic promise that comes from his, from the dad, and it
0: is honored by God uh, all throughout the Old A little bit more than a prophetic promise, this is a messianic blessing because we're following the bloodline of Christ through the Old Testament. In
5: the Old Testament, we see that the blessing was something that was sought after and desired. Uh, God blessed, and, and uh, fathers would bless their sons. It was a prophetic message that was, that was a f- promising future for their kid and it was handed down from dad uh, to to their son. Uh, So here uh, he gives instruction to his boy, and he's doing it kind of quietly, kind of stealth-like. But there's somebody listening, Genesis 27.5. "'But uh, Rebekah, be Isaac's wife, overheard what Isaac had said to his son, Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for wild game, she said to her son, "'Jacob, listen, I overhear your father say to Esau, "'bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal.'" Then I will bless you in the lord 's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me, do exactly as I tell you. Go out in the flocks and bring me two fine goats i 'll use them to prepare my father 's your father 's favorite dish. Then take you the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebecca my my brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is sm- silky smooth. Um, <laughs> What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, let the curse fall on me. My son, just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. Now, oftentimes I thought well, these guys are little, you know, they're like teenagers or, you know, they're just, um, you know, maybe in their early 20s or something. Um, but no, they're 50, they're probably 50 years old at this point. And here's mama telling her boy, what to do, and you know, and she comes up with a plan, and she's reminding them, you know. She, and again, let me just remind you of what happens to people when they take matters into their own hands and 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 don't follow God's plan. How well did that work out for Eve? Not so good. How well did that work out for Cain when he decided I'm going to take matters in my own hands? He killed his brother. So Jacob complains, Mom, we're never going to be able to pull this off. I'm not hairy. I'm not a hunter. I'm not a good cook. And Mom kept saying, no problem, no problem. She's the classic enabler, right? She's the classic
0: manipulator. I'm going to make. No, she's the classic woman of faith who believes the word of the Lord. You've skipped like the important part of the setup of the story. And as a result of it, you're clueless as to what the story is about
5: sure that my favorite boy is going to get this so don't worry about me uh you know your your skin's not hairy uh, we're going to take some animal skin we're going to put it on you and you're going to feel like chewbacca at this point you're like hey whoa! all right and then i'm going to cook up some uh, go get your pet goat cuz he obviously can't go hunt so he has to go get his pet goat and he goes and gets his pet goat and they kill it and they make this great meal and it smells good and and it you know and, and still he's like, hey, you know, I'm still worried that if he finds out, don't worry about it. Uh, and so she tells she tells her son, just obey me. Uh, dis, we're going to disobey God, but just obey me. And she dresses him
0: up. And we're going to disobey God. No, actually, it was Isaac who was disobeying God. And uh, uh, cooks the meal
5: for him. So here in Genesis 27:14, 14, so it says Jacob went out, got the young goats for his mom. Rebecca took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms smooth and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goat. And she gave Jacob a delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So she's, I mean, she's pulling out all the stops. I, I will make sure that it just, the house smells wonderful. Everything's going to be great. He's going to just love the So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, yes, my son. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? It's Esau. I mean, he probably had uh, your firstborn son. I have done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Well, how'd you find it out? How'd you find this so quickly, my son?
1: Uh,
5: It was Bambi. Like it's right there. Listen, to this this is crazy. The Lord, your God, put it in my path. We'll unpack that in a second. But isn't that crazy talk right there? The Lord, your God, put it in my path. So, so here we go. Mom does all the work. She does. She takes care of all this stuff. And he, and Jacob goes and he deceives his dad. He lies about it. He even says, God put the little goat in my path. I mean, you know, he not only does he lie about it, he invokes God. I mean, how many of us do that where we just, you know, well, we, we know we're doing stuff outside the will of God, but we don't care. And we'll even say, but God wants me to be happy. I think God wants me to ha- be happy. You know, so we'll do stuff way outside the 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 guidelines that God has given us because because we want to be we think God you know wants us to be happy so we can do whatever we want. God wants you know, so He does all this stuff. He says, you know, hey boy, come closer. I want to smell you. I want to feel you. Because, he know, well, the food smells good, you know, but I, I'm not, I need to make sure I can't see very well. And so he says, come over here and kiss me. And, and uh, we see that happening here in verse 27. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And Isaac caught the smell of his clothes and was finally convinced he blessed his son. because He knew maybe something was up. And he said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. It's a kiss, really of betrayal. Just like Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss, and all the while justifying his actions, Dad was going to do the wrong thing, so he takes matters into his own hands, thinking that he's going to get the right results. Mom and Dad are both wrong, so Isaac has been deceived, and he blesses his boy. And not long after he blesses Jacob, Esau comes home, and uh, he, you know the, he's already, he's prepared a great meal. And it smells awesome. And Isaac is confused and what's going on? Who are you? And, and, and he said, like, I'm your son. I'm your firstborn son. What do you mean, who am I? Nobody cooks like this. And, and Isaac, daddy has a panic attack, he begins to shake. His anxiety hits the roof. And Isaac uh, uh, knows that he has blessed the wrong boy. And, and, and he's found out and he cannot cover his tracks anymore. And what he thought would have stayed hidden when he blesses his oldest boy is now revealed and he's dishonored his home. He's dishonored God and he's crushed his son and he is destroying his family. I thought it was you. I thought it was you. I was blessing. And, and Esau said, well, well, then just give me something. And, and, and you know, he's like, I don't have anything to give. I've already given away the blessing. Esau had been foolish. Before this, we would read that Esau had traded his birthright, his inheritance, for, for some food. He was just hungry. He came home, he was hungry, and there happened to be some soup on the table. And can I have some? And give me your birthright. Absolutely, I'll be glad to. And he does. So now Esau responds with hate. He vows to kill his brother. Now he's willing to wait for his daddy to die, and then he will kill his brother. But that's what he's going to do. Verse 41 of chapter 27, from that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death, then I will kill my brother. I feel bad, I feel bad, I feel bad, I'm crying, I'm gonna go buy a gun, is kind of his reasoning. This is horrible, horrible, horrible. Oh, what makes me feel better is the thought that someday I'm gonna kill him. So mom even finds out about this plan and tells her son, you better take off and you better leave and you better go to some relatives. And he does. Now, one of the things I truly love about the Bible is they include a story like this. Right? I mean, because if if you're going to write a religious book on how to do family, this would not be in it.
0: That's right, because the Bible is not a religious book about how to do family. And this story is an actual historical event that shows that Isaac was going to go against the word of the Lord. And that didn't happen. Uh-huh. Isaac was the one who was in the wrong. And the Messianic blessing did not fall on Esau as the Lord promised. It wouldn't. It falls on Jacob. And Jacob is the one who fathers the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve sons who become the twelve tribes of Israel, and Jacob himself has his name changed by God from Jacob to Israel. Important stuff going on here. Major messianic stuff going on here. And, well, unfortunately, Mark Chitwood here has turned this into a cautionary tale with a moral about uh, family dysfunctionality.
5: You know, I think oftentimes uh, people think, well, you know, uh, Christians are perfect and, and their families are not messed up. And, you know, everything's great and everything goes their way. And, and yet the Bible always reveals that dysfunction started pretty early on the game.
0: You know, it, it, it had dysfunction started. How about Sin.
5: Isn't God, you know, right? We, we knew Adam and Eve dysfunction and Cain and Abel, bleh, you know, and now here we see again, a family
0: that's messed up. Cain and Abel, bleh. Cain murdered Abel. First brother and br- first two brothers on the planet. It ended in a murder and you just said, bleh? and it was dysfunction. How about Sin.
5: And if you live in a family that's not dysfunctional, um, I would like to meet you actually, and then write a case study on that, and then have lots of money, um, because we all live in messed up homes and messed up lives. A couple of things we notice right away, and these are super obvious: playing favorites is a bad way to parent. Playing favorites is. A... <laughs>
0: Well, in this particular case, uh, playing favorites resulted in uh, making sure that the right man received the messianic blessing. So maybe it is a good way to parent. Hard to tell. The bad way to parent. I think it
5: goes without saying, but it happens all the time when a kid doesn't like what you like. Maybe you have a kid that's not so much into sports, but you you played on the football team or the high school basketball team. and, And despite all your efforts to get your boy interested, not interested at all. Uh, but, but one of your boys is, you know, one of your boys is, is really interested in that. In fact, he's kind of good at it. And your other boy loves the arts. Uh, but that doesn't interest you at all. Well, where is your time going to be spent? Where is your money going to be spent? Where is all your effort and your attention going to be spent? So your time and energy gets pushed along that side, and it causes all kinds of problems because somebody grows up thinking, hey, I'm the center of the universe. And somebody else says, I, I might as well have not even been born.
0: I and which of the boys thought that they were the center of the universe? I mean, I mean, tell us the details here. I mean, who was it that really and because of this this favoritism thing, ended up thinking he was the king of the world who who was it exactly? can't even get my dad to pay attention
5: and their sibling rivalry? It happens all the time. Remember in the Old Testament the, the story about Joseph and his brothers, they hated him. Why did they hate him because his dad played favorites with his boy. Joseph got the coat of many colors he he was the prized son of you know he he was going he 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 got his daddy's attention and his love and his brothers were so mad they went again wanted to kill him and instead they sold him into slavery and they got rid of the problem brothers get jealous by the way this behavior this kind of behavior gets passed on from generation to generation and part of what God can do for us is to help us break the cycle of the destructive patterns that plague many of our families. A Christian life... Uh,
2: <laughs>
0: break the cycle of destructive patterns. Yeah, the problem is, is that every single human being is born dead in trespasses and sins. Now, that's not to say that good parenting doesn't help a child along. It It is worth its weight in platinum, Okay. Good parenting is worth its weight in platinum. But the thing is, is that even the best parent is a sinner. And even the best parent is parenting a sinner. So um, breaking bad patterns, yeah, it's called repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Life is a life of repentance, which allows us to break the cycle. I'm glad that he said that repentance is the thing that helps us break the cycle. I'm glad he said that. I'd like to more details, please. If you were raised in a home where uh, the favorite was not you, you're going to need
5: to have grace. If you were raised in a a home where you were the favorite son or the favorite
0: daughter, you're going to need grace as well. How about everybody needs grace? Um, So I've heard the term repentance and I've heard the term grace. Uh, again, I'm not. Sh- if I were a non-Christian and having walked in, and this is the first time I've ever been to church, I don't know what he's talking about. Jesus is alive and
5: well, and he can. He is able to help us, and to not only, um.
0: He, he's able to help us forgive. Jesus is able to help us forgive. Huh? Is there anything that Jesus has done for us that would, um, actually help God forgive us for our sins?
5: And to break the pattern, this is a. You know, uh, I don't think we know how much damage this stuff can cause. It's powerful. Be careful. Another thing that we notice in the story is that when we give a blessing, it's powerful.
0: Genesis one twenty eight says, "Then God." Bl-. When we give a blessing, it's powerful. We're talking about a messianic blessing. Okay, Jacob you know himself will end up doing this exact same thing with his sons and bless his son Judah and make it clear that the scepter will not depart from Judah. The messianic blessing then goes from Jacob to Judah.
2: Ay, ay,
5: ay. Bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply. He's, again, he's talking to Adam, in the very beginning, right? at The very beginning, God blesses them. In fact, even God blesses the Sabbath. He says, keep it holy. He blesses even a day. God blesses Noah and his sons. God blessed Abraham. And when Esau doesn't get the blessing, it crushes him. It's devastating
0: and catastrophic. In fact, uh, and yet the word of the Lord was clear before he was ever born. That blessing should not have been ever offered to him, or he should have never been led to believe he was going to get it. Uh, uh, the way he responds to it is by rebelling. Esau had
5: already married two women. Mistake, by the way, two. Massive mistake. It's not like, right? And not only were there two, they were both unbelievers. And he was told not to do it. So now his response to this was to marry more women who were unbelievers. It's like, I'll show Dad. He can't right? I'll show him. Do whatever I want. Take matters into my own hands. You see, when you don't get the blessing, you're gonna struggle. Well, I don't want my kids to get a big head. Um again, this is not in a blessing is not fooling them into thinking they're awesome or great. Like they're they're the best football player ever. I love that. I see that on Facebook all the time or Twitter. Best husband
0: ever, and I want to write back. So so saying that you're you got the best husband ever, you're saying that your child's really good at sports, is the same kind of blessing that we're talking about here in Genesis 27. Yeah, I don't think so.
5: No, they're not. (laughs) My wife's husband is way better than yours, right? What are you talking about, best ever? Okay, because nobody right believes that. It's wonderful for you. I don't want my kid right. Best kid ever. That's just fooling him into thinking that the right that the universe revolves around them. And by the way, if you have a kid that thinks that the universe revolves around them, they will grow up and marry a guy or a gal. Who believes the same thing about their some, themselves? So when you have two people who think the universe revolves around them, what eventually happens is
0: a mess. Well, then they're going to have to. And that's not what this story is about at all. Marry somebody that will worship them.
5: Well, okay. Um, Okay. You see, there's only one worthy of worship. Now, if you really, and again, uh, parents uh, who make their home a kid-centered home are going to really struggle. You need to make your home a Christ-centered home. Uh, and the best thing you can do for your kids is to not to put them up on a throne and worship them. The best thing you
0: can do is put Christ up on the throne and worship Him and make. Sure- yeah, why don't you demonstrate that for us by actually having a Christ-centered sermon? Because Christ is all over this story, and uh, you've completely missed it.
5: Make sure, your marriage is strong. So that the kids even know the most important relationship that we have in this home is with each other, and then we're going to get to you later on, there, Billy. Because right now I am right. It's all I'm. I'm, in, I'm so in love with her that I want you to understand how to make right what a great marriage work. All right. Um, but saying things like "You have what it takes," I see this in you. You have you have what it takes to you know. And again, I always, I always tried to point my kids in in directions they wanted to go. In which I said, "You know, if you want to do that, let, let me help you. Let me let me." Come alongside you. I don't understand that world, but i uh, you know, I'm I'm all about. If you want, I'm all about risk taking. I'm all about like let's try it. And my kids tried stuff if they want to do it. Let's try it. Uh, and then we knew right away, not good at that. All right, let's move on. Let's right, let's try that. I mean, you know, and, and, and that's okay. I, what is risk taking? It is faith. I want my kids to be kids of faith.
0: Yeah, and funny enough, there was a major risk that was taken by Rebecca, and she stepped out in faith because she believed the word of the Lord, that her younger son would be the one who had the blessing. Weird, huh? Totally missed it.
5: And I want to put them in the best place possible for all that to take place. Uh, Now, if you want really graduate-level blessing... If you want to take this to a whole lot, whole bigger level, because it's pretty easy to bless our kids. It's pretty easy. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I'm pretty good. But Jesus, I want you to bless those who curse you. (laughs) What? Yeah, I want you to bless people who don't like you, don't appreciate you, don't like the way you do stuff. Uh, and, you know, there are people in your life that do that. There are people, you work with them. Maybe it's, you know, right, your neighbor. Maybe there's just certain people in your life that don't like you at all, and they let it be pretty clear. How am I going to bless them? That's graduate level. That's graduate level.
0: And it really isn't a cross-reference to this story.
5: Because it's pretty, again, pretty easy to bless those we love. Bless those who curse me? Hmm. Now, this is from a writer named Mary Ann Bird. She wrote, I grew up knowing I was different, hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. When I started uh, school, my classmates made it clear how I looked to others. A little girl, misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. When classmates asked me what happened to my lip, I told them that I had fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow that was more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born that way. I was convinced that no one outside of my family would ever love me. Then there was a teacher in the second grade that I adored, Mrs. Leonard. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. Finally, it was my turn. I knew from previous years that uh, that I would stand there and she would whisper in my ear and I would need to repeat it. Usually it was something like this. The sky is blue. Do you have new shoes? So it was my turn. I walked up there and God must have put the words in her mouth that would change my life. Mrs. Leonard whispered, I wish you were my girl. I wish you were my little girl. She spoke a blessing, teachers, coaches, parents, you had the ability to 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 change people's lives with even little whispers like that. It's my guess that some of you can look back on moments moments like that in your life when a coach spoke into your life that believed in you and knew that you had what it takes to kind of, maybe maybe it was a teacher saying, you know what, if you went, I think if you go keep going that direction, you're really good at this. Maybe
0: you can speak words of blessing. God whispers. And again, this story has nothing to do with that at all. That, by the way, to us all the time. I
5: believe in you. I believe in you. You can do this. I can help you. I wish you were my little boy. I wish you were my little girl. Genesis 50 verse 20 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. This is the great theme of the Old Testament.
0: Uh, Yeah, those are the words of Joseph. And they then take a straight beeline to Christ and the crucifixion. Isaac meant this for evil,
5: evil, Rebekah as well, Esau as well, Jacob as well. God meant it for good. Not everything that happens in, in our lives in, in the world is
0: the will of God. Lots of people mean things for evil. Um, in this particular case, Jacob receiving the blessing was the expressed undeniable will of God even before he was born. We take matters into our
5: own hands. We're sinful and selfish and insecure and scared and angry. But God is a way bigger God than all of those things. And no matter what, uh, our mistakes our sinful decisions. He is able to craft and mold them all to bring about beauty. The crazy thing about these, these people and this family that we're looking at today is that Jesus is related to them.
0: Yes, he is.
5: They're the, the great, 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 what? They're his there, there is great, 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 great stuff, right?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're recognizing this. He comes out of this kind of dysfunction. Uh, <laughs> That's the best you could do. He comes out of dysfunction. God came into human history
5: through a family, not a perfect family, but through a family. And the jealousy and the lying and the deceiving and the stealing and the anger, and he puts all that stuff on his back so that we can be forgiven, but not just that, so that we can stop living a life of sin. Maybe you grew up in a home like Isaac and Rebecca's. Perhaps it was worse than that. I mean, you'd have got settled this. That would have been awesome. But my dad was a jerk. He drank too much. My mom cheated on my dad. I don't know anything about a blessing. I don't I never I never have heard a blessing from my dad. I never have heard a blessing from my mom. And you grew up in some stuff that was impossible. Impossible to deal with. Jacob probably thought that he would be different than his daddy. Jacob eventually would grow up and have a family and do the same thing with his boys. One of them was Joseph. We just looked at that, where there was lying and trickery because you reap what you sow. God has delivered us from the empty hollow way that we may have grown up. He does not want you to fall into the pattern of lying and cheating and anger. And he is now
0: helping. Yeah, the thing is, is that every one of us has already fallen into that pattern because we were born dead in trespasses and sins, and with a very active sinful nature that is at war with God. Helping you be led by the Holy Spirit,
5: and he still whispers into our ears today. I sure wish you were my little boy. I sure wish you were my little girl. He'd like you to be in his family. More than anything else if 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 the incredible thing that he, he would adopt me into his home
0: again I, I may have grown up where okay, this is kind of gospel ish language, but it's not very clear as to what exactly he's getting at. If I were an unbeliever i okay so god's whispering in my ear, I wish you were a part of my family all right that's nice sentimentality, but what exactly does it mean? Was, a lot of things were out of control and a lot messed up,
5: and I'm thinking, well, I don't I don't get this whole family thing because my family was messed up and dysfunctional. Absolutely. But he can walk into that situation
0: and be your heavenly father who will love you. And, and so now you're gonna call them to repentant faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins because they're sinners, right? Please do that.
5: And bless you. He will. Jesus, by the way, Jesus even got the blessing from his heavenly father. When Jesus was baptized, the father spoke these words into his son's life, into his ear. You are my
0: son and whom I'm well pleased. That's right. The blessing that Jacob received was the Messianic blessing, and ultimately it falls. It goes straight beeline through the bloodline of Christ, and it lands straight on him. I'm glad you brought that up, but it's funny that you don't actually quite see how those pieces work together.
5: What boy doesn't want to hear that from his daddy? What young woman doesn't want to hear that? Uh, again,
0: the, Jesus is hearing that, and that's good news for us, because there's no human being that Jesus, that God was able to say that to after the fall of Adam.
5: From a mom, absolutely. And so Jesus whispers into our ears still to this day. I'm so glad
0: you're my kid. This is really bad theology with really drippy sentimentality. This is not a clear gospel call here. All right. Maybe perhaps you'd like to hear that today.
5: I'm going to give you a moment for him to speak to you
0: right now. Yeah, you're just going to be silent and just expect God to start talking to people? Uh, where are we told to expect that? The God, we're going to listen to your voice. All right. He's praying. So we're done. Wow. And all of this caused by just not paying attention to the details of the text. And listen, there's good commentaries out there. Some of them are like in the public domain. Now, Paul Kretzman's commentary, public domain, you know, it is absolutely inexcusable that anybody who's a pastor would do this it's not excusable with all of the technology that we have today with the logos bible software with accordance or you know accordance sorry that's always it's accordance um you know with the internet and you know all of the research tools and the good commentaries that are available there is no reason why any pastor could excuse missing the whole point of a text and not rightly handling it Anyway, like I said, it's not about family dysfunction. It's about the Messiah and the promise and the blessing. And ultimately, the blessing goes all the way to Jesus Christ, the one to whom every knee will bow, the one whom the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He is the one who has propitiated the wrath of God for us. He has taken our sins upon himself and bled and died and suffered the wrath of God in our place so that we would not have to. And he is the one who calls each and every one of us in our broken and sinful and messed up condition. Knowing that we are sinners and rebels against God, then we deserve nothing but God's wrath. He is the one who has propitiated God's wrath and made peace between us and the Father by his blood. And he calls each and every one of us to repent, to be forgiven, and to live in that peace won by Christ for us on the cross. It's not him whispering in your ears, oh, I wish you were my son. It's him calling you to repent and be forgiven. And when that happens, you are adopted in to the family of God, and God does call you a son. You are an adopted son, not to be brought to penitent faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. And all of that was missing from this completely off-topic, miss-the-point sermon about a game show, deal or no deal. What did you think? love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by jesus christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen